Welcome to the CIO Evolution. In this podcast, we'll explore the Chief Information Officer's role in executing a new ongoing leadership imperative, digital transformation that promotes agility and resilience. How do CIOs upgrade legacy networks? What are the financial challenges CIOs face? And what are the security measures that are required in the new work-from-anywhere mobile and cloud-based world? Hi, friends. Uh, Hope you're having a fantastic day. Welcome to CIO Evolution. My name is Rohit Adlaka, and I've been on the advisory board of uh, Zscaler called CXO Revolutionaries since May 21. Prior to that, I was working for a company called Wipro. Ended my stint in Wipro as the Chief Digital Officer, Chief Information Officer, and the Head of AI and Automation. It's been a fantastic journey till now in life. And I've got uh, two very, very exciting guests. And the three of us will have a fantabulous conversation on CI evolution. Our first guest is uh, Ken Ukhart. Ken has uh, been a pioneer in AI and 5G. He's currently the global vice president at Zscaler, leading 5G. And our second guest is Howie Shu. Howie is again from Zscaler, vice president of machine learning and AI formerly Greylock Partners, founder of VMware Networking. And he looks at uh, AI in areas of threat prevention, automation and AI ops, and business intelligence. So very, very warm welcome to our guests and to our listeners. Hi, Ken. Hi, Howie. Hello, Rohit. Hello, Ken. Looking forward to the conversation today. Yes, likewise. Hello, Rohit and Howie, and thank you very much, Rohit, for inviting us. Thanks once again, and uh, we've got stalwarts here on this podcast, so we're going to triangulate three very, very hot topics, a lot of excitement, a lot of euphoria, a lot of angst, a lot of anxiety. So with this mixed bag, we bring together AI, artificial intelligence, trust, humans trust humans. But will humans trust machines as we go along? And of course, the hottest topic across the globe, cyber risk and security. So I'll pose my first uh, question to both Ken and Howie. AI has been there since the 1950s. It's seen its uh, AI winter, it's seen the AI summer. But just to get your perspectives, what are the advancements that you're seeing in artificial intelligence, machine learning, and how do you see the adoption curve moving? So I can discuss from my perspective um, about the AI, you know, the advancement, right? So in the last decade or so, we suddenly see AI, you know, being everywhere, but AI technology has been there for decades. So why is that? I think the, you know, the advancement on the hardware, you know, the, the, the you know, NVIDIA of the world, right? You know, there's a lot of the advancement. And then, you know, next is a lot of the advancement in terms of the availability of the data, right? So like the phone, right? So, you know, and then everything else producing so much data, Zscaler, we see, you know, so much data, right? Enterprise, consumers having so much data. And then lastly, the software, a lot of people, you know, kind of uh, do not talk about the framework, the software advancement as much, but the software advancement is, is, is quite a bit. I always joking with people that, hey, you know, for when it comes to AI machine learning, 
you know, a lot of the AI programmers still in the kind of the 60s, you know, doing the assembly language, the tools, you know, availability isn't quite there for them to do things uh, to, to do, you know, more rapid AI development. There is some truth in that, but there is a lot of advancement in that, despite the fact that the core algorithm, the core idea probably didn't change, you know. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. I'm still seeing a lot of the, what I would call great uh, applications of AI and machine learning, especially in cybersecurity, using techniques that have been around for a very long time. Uh, even you know back in the 70s when I was first working around with this, you're not even, you're getting a lot of mileage out of things that do not involve convolutional neural networks, that do not involve general adversarial networks, you know, currently the, the exciting uh, times we live in. And that just brings us back to the fact that we're seeing a lot of the things we talk about in AI have antecedents in the 70s and 80s. But there wasn't enough computer power and there wasn't enough data to really apply them to uh, big problems at scale. And you know, we talk about AI right now and breakthroughs in neural networks, but at the same time, it was breakthroughs in pushing huge amounts of data. I mean, and how he deals with petabytes minimum per day. Uh, the data is here, the networks are fast enough to push it and the computing power is big enough to crunch through it. I mean, e even with simple algorithms, the amount of time to crunch through petabytes of data is not insignificant. And so it, we're, and then we're all set this world where he, as how he said, assembly language programming. We're now trying to move beyond that. We're trying to move to, you know, we have low code right now. I mean, SAP's Einstein is trying to let um, salespeople make headway with AI without having to know a lot of programming. And so we're moving to where I'm in low code world. I'd like to go to no code where I can ask questions in English. I can have my data brought in and massaged by a number of algorithms to put it into a format that's useful. Uh, at the same time, you know, we talked about older uh, AI approaches. Yes, and we're seeing this thing called tiny ML, which is small models that work really well on the edge with IoT, limited uh, compute power. You know, the kind of thing we used to have 20 years ago, 30 years ago, has come back around and being important. And it's not about massive amounts of data. It's about huge amounts of data in the small. You know, so we're now talking about uh, one shot, few shot learning where you're using limited amounts of data to figure out what's going on. Uh, things like training a robot. I don't need massive amounts of data to train a robotic arm. I can do a couple of movements with sensors on my arm or with cameras and the robot will know how to mimic it. So can you raise a fantastic point on data? You know, we've been bombarded by the three V's as I call it, you know, Velocity of data, volume Round of data, by the three of data. <laughs> so how do you take care, uh, you know, even for a relatively simpler application like robotic arm that you mentioned, how do you take care of what data to look at? How do you colloquially put massage the data? How do you drive insights and how do you drive the true learning out of that? So any experience around the three Vs? Honestly, it's going to depend. This is one of those horrible answers that say, well, it depends. What are you trying to accomplish? What are the constraints on it? What's the regulatory environment you're working in? And what kind of result do you have to get? You know, training a robotic arm, and I can sit there and do a, put a camera on me, and I can right now, without being a machine learning specialist, uh, get a Python library, and I can train a robotic arm to track my finger movements and repeat it. Great. Now, let's say we're in a factory. 
What have I done to prevent the robot from striking a human worker who might wander too close? How fast do I have to move it? Do I need cameras on the area to do something additional like see if someone's in the way to make sure that it's all done safely? Have I covered all the bases? What happens if one of the actuators on the robot fails? Do I destroy products? Do I destroy the robot? There's this massive explosion of additional questions that happen beyond just building the model that replicates whether I'm going to grab something. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. So when I made the analogy that, you know, the AI programmer is kind of the, having the, um, the assembly language era tools, I didn't mean, I didn't really mean that, you know, that the thing on their computer, on their, you know, um, laptop is kind of a, lo looks like, you know, or, or the richness of the tools is, is like a 30, 40 years ago. I was making the comment precisely for, you know, because of the comment that Ken just made, right? So I can develop a model, but develop a model is just one of the, you know, 15 things I need to worry about, right? I need to think about, you know, where's the data coming from? Do I have the right data? Is the data biased? You know, is the data, you know, uh, even ethical or, you know, it, once I have a model, how do I monitor the performance when something is wrong? You know, what do I do with it? Right. That's a whole life cycle of it. So in that context, I feel like, you know, the AI programmer has a few, you know, um, you know, too small number of tools uh, today to help them to, to go through all of this. Absolutely, Howie. I think we want to follow the KISS model, you know, keep it simple. We have to demystify AI. We have to look at a higher adoption curve. So keeping it simple to understand and easy to adopt is the key mantra. But switching gears, you know, as I mentioned, uh, humans trust humans. Uh, and while there is a massive uh, embrace that humans are doing for machines and robots, there is also a lot of angst and furor in terms of transparency, decision-making, auditability. So from your perspective, how you know you briefly touched upon ethics and fairness, how do you think the principles of ethics and fairness can be defined? And in your view, how can they be practically implemented and governed as you move along? Right, so there are a few things I can think of, right? The one is the, uh, when it comes to ethics, right? You know, I don't think it's a problem only for AI. A lot of people are talking about, are talking about AI ethics. I would say entire digitization journey that human mankind is going through. You know, we have this ethic problem because once you digitize the world, the physical items or the workflow, you know, people can manipulate it in a, in a, in a very different way than intended, right? So, so why people are talking about more, you know, ethics, you know, in the context of AI oftentimes, because you know, in the in the world of AI, it's amplified or it's accelerated, right? Because you know, suddenly AI can do a lot more automation, can deal with a lot of the use cases that a human couldn't do. So in that in in, in that sense, right, AI is 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 accelerating the you know the di digitization journey in many ways. So as a result, you know, it, it needs to be uh, looked at more seriously. So I don't think it's a, it's an AI specific topic. So so that's but but it's amplified in the in the world of AI. So that's number one. Number two, what is the key reasons why, you know, people are talking about AI ethics, right? There are actually a number of different reasons, you know, AI can be mis misused. The one is kind of about how to utilize the AI for, uh, for, for, for a, a use case and totally unintended because, for instance, I want to simulate 
um, Rohit, your voice or your kind of the, uh, uh, not just the voice, you're your, 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 your in the video or whatnot, right? It can do, you know, a lot of horrible things. But, 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 it, but today, most people, when, when people think about AI kind of ethics is actually about the data, right? Because if you have the wrong set of the data, then you will have a model or have a result that's going to be uh, biased, right? For instance, right, you know, different race, different, you know, sex, right? You know, different uh, population, different uh, segment of the industry. So when you kind of the in, have the input into a model doing any classification, right? Risk analysis, you know, whether for consumer uh, risk or enterprise uh, cybersecurity risk or whatnot, you may have a very biased model because you have, you know, just biased the data. The, 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 the dangerous or the, the kind of things that make people um, anxious is actually we have a hard time to measure it, right? How do you know the data is actually uh, biased or not? Do you have comprehensive data? So it takes a lot of the um, domain knowledge, a lot of training, a lot of the thought process to, uh, to go into that. Because you know, if you have a pretty naive model, you will get a result. You know, the result looks you know, good or reasonable on the surface but the damage is done and then you don't even realize, you know, um, uh, until way later, right? So can uh, humans train robots, uh, human build machines? And then there is this uh, looming threat of singularity where uh, robotic intelligence transcends human intelligence. How do you see this uh, paradigm smoothening out in the area of fairness? as you move along uh, the next decade or so? Well, that's a really interesting question, Rohit. The idea of AI taking over the world, I think, is a bit, uh, a bit exaggerated at this point. Uh, AI only takes over what we allow it to take over. Our, our trouble is like with what we saw in cybersecurity probably 10 years ago. It's too much blind faith that everything's solved, too much blind faith that we have everything we need. Remember, there was... a. Uh, all you needed was a firewall. Okay, that's not true anymore. Uh, then there was a joke among the C-suite. I have a chief security officer, so I have someone to fire when we get breached. <laughs> now, it takes a while. For, you know, it, it, it all sounds like jokes, but I actually heard people say that and joke about it. Um, and I spent time with uh, enterprise and corporate boards explaining cybersecurity to them in past roles. And I was doing the same thing with AI. And there's these parallels of businesses catching up to reality. There's the euphoria that a new technology is going to save us in the terms of money, efficiencies, um, time. And yet it follows the same path. As you know, the Gartner hype cycle is real. Uh, as far as everybody getting all excited and getting all worried about it and then finding something in between. You know, FICO, the people who do credit scores, did this survey earlier this year. I think it was the it was it state of responsibility or state of responsible AI interviewed uh, executives from around the world, chief data officers, chief AI officers. And they got these really interesting results, which if you've been in cybersecurity, none of this is going to sound unfamiliar. 80% of respondents said, uh, I'm having a real problem getting my senior execs to consider ethical AI issues. Well, sounded like early cybersecurity. 78%, uh, my organization's poorly equipped to ensure uh, ethical use of AI. On the flip side, the other 22% said, yeah, we actually have an empowered board who's chartered to make real decisions that stick. And 
you know, 70% of these very people chosen to implement AI systems and to think about ethical responsibility couldn't even explain how predictions were made with specific AI systems. So, you know, how do you, how do you expect, you've got people who can't, who don't seem to understand the very, the very technology they're in charge of bringing into their company, saying they're having trouble getting their bosses to understand and take action. And I'm thinking, what do you expect? This will sort itself out, but it's not gonna happen overnight unless you understand the systems you are trying to bring into your company, unless you understand the limitations, how do you communicate that to your executives? How do you communicate that to customers? Or are you just content with being caught out and having to try to explain it and mumble some talking points and fall back on, well, everybody else is having that problem too. People have to do better. I think it's a balance that we need to strike, uh, Ken, you know, in terms of what I call risk control, because humans love control. They love to see people around them. They love to have uh, a chain of command whom they can actually yeah. lead as a leader. And the moment you move on to a virtual world where everything is invisible somewhere sitting on the cloud, but you still want the scale, you need the reliability, uh, you need the security. So I think it's a balance, uh, you know, tight rope walk that all of us will have to do as we move along. But uh, very quickly, you know, switching over to the third pillar, we've talked about AI, we've talked about trust and, you know, cybersecurity. So last year alone, there were about 4,000 major uh, cyber attacks across global enterprises. And I was reading a very interesting statistic that uh, if you put small, medium, large cyber attacks, we get about 22,000 attacks a day. Uh, in my view, that will be much more. But if I were to just triangulate these three key pillars, you know, how do you see uh, the intersection of AI, zero trust, which is an extension of trust and cybersecurity? And how do you think these three uh, paradigms will evolve into a single paradigm? So zero trust has been <laughs> the, the talk of town, you know, in the cybersecurity world for the last, you know, uh, several years, right? And uh, the way I look at a sub, uh, zero trust is it's, it's just a, a kind of a very nice way to capture uh, where we want cybersecurity to go, which is granular policy and then very dynamic policy and a very adaptive policy, right? So that's kind of how I see zero trust, right? You know, it needs to be very granular, very adaptive, very dynamic kind of the real-time policies. Now, how to make this happen, right? So no one, you know, even 20 years ago, if you ask, uh, you know, any of the CISO, hey, do you want a granular policy? Do you want dynamic policy? Of course, you know, even 20 years ago, people wanted Why we are talking about it now, right? So there are two things. One is, you know, the, the application is everywhere. You know, it's no longer just within on-prem anymore. You know, you don't, the kind of the, you think you had a control, you never had a control anyways, but you think you had a, you thought you had a control, but not anymore, right? It's everywhere. People are moving around, right? During the pandemics days, even pre-pandemics, right? You know, I worked at a Starbucks a lot of times. So, 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 so that's, you know, that's one reason it changed. But the other thing is, you know, the, the now it's actually a time we are, finally are able to do more granular thing. Why is that? Because of the grant, because of the large volume of the data we collected, right? So we know, you know, kind of the, your behavior, your kind of the uh, pattern. So we are now finally able to, 
you know, based on the data, generate the granular policy. Because think about it for a second, right? If you humans has to say, hey, Rohit, you can access this, this application, that applications, that will take forever, right? So you really want a more automated uh, way to generate those policies, those very granular, dynamic, real-time adaptive policies. So I wouldn't say it has to be AI driven, but I think AI come a very long way. It's going to come a very long way to help this part, uh, this, uh, this you know, zero trust policy. So, so really, you know, I'm saying two things, right? You know, uh, zero trust is here to come because of the nature of the application, the nature of, you know, the professional, the, 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 the people. But, but, but finally, you know, thanks to AI, thanks to the data, thanks to um, the, the technology we have, uh, granularity of the policy uh, is finally made, 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 is, is going to be made possible. You know, Zero trust by definition means trust no one, but if you have to implement it in terms of the policies and the actual implementation, you still need to trust someone. And if that someone happens to be a, a bot and not a human, you know, that complicates it, uh, you know, even further. So, so I think that there are two different aspects here, right? One is you have to still have to trust someone, like you said, right? And the bot, you know, whether a bot or some program, but the, 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 the point I'm making is it has to be more automated than before. It cannot be manually, hey, you have an organization of 100,000 employees, right? Hundreds of thousands of applications. Someone manually do that. That's just not going to be possible. You have to rely on some automation. How's that automation being done? Human will have to you know, influence a lot, no question about it. But some of the implementation, some of the design will be driven by the AI and the machine learning. Um, so that's kind of the, uh, how I see it. Yeah. And, and you know, Howie, those are ex really excellent points. And I think just to a little more color around this is we started with the world where security was walled garden. There was a firewall. There is the idea of us safe on the inside and the outside world we can't trust. But that's a siege mentality. In this world where I have automated attacks on me, when I have botnets hitting me, I have to stop every single attempted incursion. And the and person who's attacking me only has to be lucky once. The odds are in their favor. So then Zero Trust said to the world, all right, that's not a maintainable model that doesn't, and it doesn't scale. So how can I operate safely in an environment where I have threats everywhere, where there is no separation in a safe area for me, but I'm always in a hostile environment. And that's where we went into, yes, they'll be identifying who you are, who your machines are, what you're allowed to touch in our system, how you're connecting to it. That works now. You know, we've been very successful with this approach. But now let's kick it up a notch. We're about to enter the internet of things. We're getting into it now. But now you're talking about millions, hundreds of millions of devices that you own, that your partners own, interacting with you, trading information back and forth, asking for actions and commands. Your problem just scaled out of your control. Manual intervention. I mean, our cybersecurity groups they can, at most companies can only look at 20% of the alerts you need help. Fortunately, tiny ML, small models that work, small models that work with minimal teaching. This is what Howie is, is an expert at doing, is applying all these things I talked about earlier at scale. You know, so we're getting there. 
we're using it. We're not using horribly complex convolutional neural network models where you're not sure of the results. You're not sure you've hit the solution space. A lot of cybersecurity AI, uh, you know, and Howie and I talk about this uh, fairly frequently because it's just so interesting, is using machine learning models that are well known, that you can use predictably, that allow you to scale, that allow you to do meaningful work, that allow you to relieve the burden from humans who are overwhelmed with the data. And that's where we are today. That's where Zscaler is today. That's why I'm so amazed at the work Howie and his team is doing. And we're doing that for customers. We're doing that for you who are listening to this podcast. Absolutely. So it's uh, what I call AI crime versus AI cybersecurity. And uh, if you are actually Star Wars fans, then, you know, Han Solo's uh, Millennium Falcon and versus the Death Star. So let's see, you know, who finally wins it. But it's been an absolutely turbocharged discussion, gentlemen. And to bring it to a final close, a quick summary from your side on these three pillars and maybe a shade of what Zscaler as a company is doing across these three pillars. So how do you want to take a start, please? So from Zscaler point of view, right, you know, on, one, on the one hand, we see security gets more and more complex, right? You know, people's, you know, there is more, more, more and more sophisticated. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the bad guys, you know, the sort of the, in terms of the um, tools they use, in terms of the threats, you know, they are exploring, you know, it's just getting more and more uh, complex. In the past, we can just write a signature, capture the pattern. Okay, once we see the pattern again, we say we block it, right? You know, we are still leveraging that kind of the signature-based technology a lot you know, as Zscaler and then throughout the cybersecurity industry. But complement to complementing that, that conventional technology, we are actually started using AI a lot to uncover the unknown, right? The unknown malware, the bots, um, the kind of the, um, the, 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 the bad behaviors that we never had a signature. We never saw it before, but we use AI and machine learning to capture that kind of the uh, bad stuff. So we are blocking uh, lots of lots of you know, bad things based on both conventional as well as the AI technology today as we speak. So that's kind of the one thing from Zscaler's point of view, we kind of doing that. But the other thing, as we kind of also discussed earlier, right, you know, the zero trust, though, you know, zero trust is about all the granular control, you know, who's doing what. But we also don't want to have the user experience, you know, to suffer. The user experience is you and me and also the admins, right? We don't want people to spend, you know, sort of the tons of time just to, to configure those granular policy. We wanted to automate those things. So the policy automation is, is a big thing. So really, you know, as Zscaler, there are two major things I'm driving. One is the, um, just the dealing with the unknown threat, more and more unknown threats um, via the AI machine learning. But the other thing is leveraging the AI machine learning technology to make the policy configuration uh, super smooth, right? As if it's just, uh, you know, um, as easy as just uh, reading the Google news and then everyone gets their personal policy. Uh, that's the nirvana we, we, we wanted to get to, right? So it's, it's personal, it, it's, it's personal policies, it's granular policy, it's dynamic, it's real time. Um, yet uh, it doesn't take a lot of effort, right? So, so, so both, are the, uh, bo bo both angles are very important. Uh, for the cybersecurity world. Ken, what do you think? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts on this. 
again, just to step back to the bigger picture, I'm just going to say something to every CIO out there, every CXO listening to this uh, podcast. If your people you have hired to do AI cannot explain it to you in a way that you can understand it, they don't know what they're doing. I've been in this business 40 years. I've been working with AI for more than 40 years. I'm still learning something new every day, but I also know that uh, as a started life as an academic in physics, you have to be able to explain it to people or else you don't know what you're talking about. And that brings me back to 70% of people in the FICO survey said they couldn't explain how specific AI makes predictions. You're trusting your business to this? Be careful. There are a lot of really good people out there in AI. They're just hard to find because they are in such demand. You know, as far as ethics, AI, like any technology, races ahead first before we catch up in how we think about it, how we feel about it, how we regulate it, and how we adapt to it. That will take time. So a conservative approach, think about it, adopt smaller, simpler AI. They will help your business. They'll help get you through. And for cybersecurity, there is now too much data, too many tools, too much ease of attack, too many ways to attack that you can't afford to ignore AI. And I think that's where we end it. Thank you. <laughs> thanks a lot, Ken. Thank you, Howie. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, a big thanks to both uh, Ken and Howie. As we move along in this digital revolution, where the need is for uh, ultra-fast, ultra-secure, ultra-reliable, let's see if the three pillars of uh, AI, trust and cybersecurity, can drive this revolution. Thank you so much for being with us for the last 20 odd minutes. Wishing you the very best. Have a fantastic day ahead. Cheers and looking forward to having you on our next session. Thanks for listening to the CIO Evolution. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find more episodes along with other podcasts on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of the recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.